from the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch. Coming up, big news out of the United States Supreme Court last night as the nation's highest court, by a vote of five to four, refused the request of the abortion industry to halt Texas's heartbeat bill from going into law. The measure will effectively outlaw abortions after six weeks when a heartbeat is detected. The left's apocalyptic response indicates the significance of the decision. Nancy Northrup, the head of the Center for Reproductive Rights, the organization that spearheaded the effort to stop the cleverly crafted law, said this, quote, we are devastated that the Supreme Court has refused to block a law that blatantly violates Roe v. Wade, end quote. This, of course, is not the end of the challenges to the law, but the court's decision last night is a hopeful sign. Why? Well, we'll talk about that with the Attorney General of Texas, Ken Paxton, later here on Washington Watch. And earlier today, Congressman James Comer, the ranking member on the House Committee on Oversight and Reform, refused to be silent about the elephant, or in this case, donkey, in the room. Today, we're holding a markup of a $3.5 trillion reconciliation package as the Biden administration and congressional Democrats continue the march to turn the greatest country in the world into a socialist quagmire. He went on to talk about the response in Afghanistan and a number of other issues plaguing the Biden administration. The question is, is the Democratic-controlled Congress even pausing to ask the reflective questions that responsible leadership demands? We'll talk about it with Kentucky Congressman James Comer. And if you like how the Biden administration has handled Afghanistan, then you'll be very pleased with their efforts to nationalize our election systems, which will all but guarantee the left's political death grip on the nation. There are, however, counter efforts underway as states like Texas push forward with election reform measures despite the unhinged response of the left. We'll talk about it with the former Ohio Secretary of State, our own Ken Blackwell. Also, Hurricane Ida is spreading her destruction all the way to the East Coast, bringing devastating rain and wind. This was, or should I say, is some storm. Luther Harrison, VP of North American Ministries for Samaritan's Purse, is here with an update on the efforts in Louisiana and elsewhere. And speaking of relief efforts, FRC is committing $25,000 to match dollar for dollar what Washington Watch listeners contribute to the relief effort. The money will go directly to the effort to support Samaritan's Purse and the churches that are hosting them. To participate, go to frc.org slash relief. All right, yesterday, Republicans in the House Armed Services Committee used a marathon markup of the annual defense policy bill to address the shortcomings in the Biden administration's handling of the U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan. But in the end, Democrats refused to acknowledge the Afghan debacle. And today, Democrats on the House Committee on Oversight and Reform rushed to mark up their $3.5 trillion, that's trillion with a T, reconciliation package, even as hundreds of Americans remain stranded in Afghanistan. What can we draw from the Democrats' inattention to the Afghan debacle? With me now to talk about this and more is Congressman James Comer, the ranking member on the House Oversight Committee. He represents the 1st Congressional District of Kentucky. 
Congressman Comer, welcome back to the program. Thanks for having me back on. So, Congressman, to me, it appears like the, as I mentioned a moment ago, that the the Democrats don't want to acknowledge the elephant (laughs) in the room here, and that is what unfolded last week, leaving Americans and our allies in Afghan uh, stranded in Afghanistan. Not only would the Democrats not talk about that today, not only would they not commit to having a hearing with the special inspector general for the Afghan reconstruction, they also, instead of talking about Afghanistan or anything else that the American people care about from an oversight perspective, they wanted to talk about January the 6th. And we had a five-hour hearing today, and the topic of the hearing was to electrify the postal fleet. They were wanting to spend billions of dollars to convert all the post office vehicles from gas to electric. And during this committee hearing, despite our pleas to talk about Afghanistan or or try to have a hearing on Afghanistan and the weapons, how many weapons were, uh, were lost to the Taliban, they wanted to talk about Donald Trump even more. So the Democrats are completely out of touch. Their, their lack of respect for our troops, for the Americans who Joe Biden left behind is astonishing. And their disconnect is beyond belief right now. I guess the good news, Congressman, um, if they want to focus on electrified postal vehicles, at least we won't have to worry about the Taliban taking them because they probably will have no interest in those vehicles, unlike the uh, tens of thousands of other vehicles that they're now driving around in Afghanistan that the United States left behind. Exactly. I mean, that's what the House Committee on Oversight and Reform should be investigating is how many vehicles, how many, uh, how much American taxpayer-funded military equipment was left behind in Afghanistan. And instead, we're, the Democrats used a five-hour hearing today to talk about uh, a one bill that would electrify the postal fleet, not to mention with all the problems the post office has, the main, be, the main one being they don't deliver the mail on time anymore. They want to convert all the vehicles from gas to electric. It's just such a socialist, uh, just liberal, out-of-touch group of Democrats in Washington right now. I, I mean, it just never ceases to amaze me what they choose to talk about when you have precious legislative time in Washington. So, uh, Congressman Comer, let me just step back for just a moment for the benefit of our listeners. What is the purpose of the House Oversight and Reform Committee? We have broad jurisdiction over anything related to the federal government. If you think about that, everything's related to the federal government. Obviously, the post office is a function of the federal government. That's why we were dealing with that today. We have jurisdiction over all the inspectors general. And we've been having, uh, when Trump was president, the Democrats were always calling the special inspector general for the Afghan reconstruction in because they were complaining about things that Trump was doing. You know, never mentioned the fact that, you know, we we lost, you know, very few troops uh, during the Trump administration. Uh, There was, you know, there's always been problems in, in Afghanistan, but in the seven months that Joe Biden has been president, we've lost billions of dollars. We've lost uh, 14 lives, uh, military lives, and, and, and 
the Democrats don't even want to talk about Afghanistan now because it's 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 on Joe Biden's watch. And the no. oversight committee is supposed to be supposed to be the committee that tries to root out waste, fraud, and abuse in the federal government. I mean, you talk about waste, fraud, and abuse. Afghanistan, if you Google government waste, fraud, and abuse, Afghanistan pops up on Google right now. That's how bad it is. But they don't want to talk about Afghanistan. Well, is am I correct that there there was uh, – did you receive a briefing this week from the uh, Special Inspector General for Afghanistan's reconstruction? We did, and it was a closed-door briefing, and only members of the House Oversight Committee were allowed to participate. Uh, it couldn't be recorded or anything like that. It wasn't classified, but you know we couldn't let the American people see what's really going on. And I will what, tell what you, can you share with you, us from that? Well, I, yeah, I can share the basically everything that that took place in there. Uh, we just weren't allowed to record it. That was the Democrats' rule on the the special briefing. But I can tell you, you know, it, we lost billions and billions of dollars in in weaponry to the Taliban. I think everybody knows that. Uh, President Ghani fled with $169 million of American cash. Now, how that happened, that's something the Oversight Committee or or countless other – Homeland Security, you know, Foreign Affairs, some committee in Washington should be investigating that. And, and Ghani should be court-martialed, but the Democrats don't want to talk about that. Also, we learned that for at least two years, the United States has been paying for fuel – for Afghanistan, not just for the arm, the army they had that that never fired a shot or fought back, but also for the government operations, and at least half of that fuel was being stolen by Afghanis that were supposed to be on our side. So all the signs were there that this uh, corrupt government in Afghanistan uh, probably wasn't going to fight back. And instead of taking that into consideration, Joe Biden left that Afghani force with a with a questionable uh, president and a questionable generals in charge of the line of defense between the Taliban and uh, Kabul airport. So so many mistakes by Joe Biden. The Democrats in Washington know this. They're just trying to cover up for Joe Biden's botched Afghanistan withdrawal. You talk about the material that was left behind, the billions of dollars of military equipment. Now, there are claims that are out there that all of this material was demilitarized or it was left inoperable. Was there any discussion about that? We can't. He couldn't confirm that. We don't know. Uh, but that's something, obviously, that uh, Congress needs to be finding out. I don't have confidence in our intelligence community. You know, what, what Biden's saying is, well, we'll let the intelligence community find, find it out. Well, Joe Biden said he would let his intelligence community take 90 days to determine the origination of COVID-19. 90 days went by, which was 90 days to give China more time to cover up uh, the whatever was going on in that Wuhan lab. And just this week, Biden announced, well, the intelligence community couldn't determine anything. We we need to look at the budget for the intelligence committee. I mean, if there was ever a, an entity that needs to be shaken up, it's our intelligence community. We spend a lot of money on intelligence. And when it comes to intelligence outside the United States, 
there have been a lot of uh, bad advice and a lot of bad yeah. intelligence that's been relayed to, to numerous administrations, dating back to George Bush on uh, Iraq having weapons of mass destruction. I mean, we, we've got an intelligence community that I, I don't think most credible members of Congress put a lot of confidence in. Uh, Congressman, 30 seconds left, but in that uh, briefing, was there any discussion about those left behind in Afghanistan, Americans? Yes, and uh, we have no idea how many Americans were over there. Uh, that was what was uh, what came out of the briefing. We don't know how many are over there, and we're having to rely on what the State Department and what President Biden are saying. You know, there's a, you know, a, there are some people left over there. We don't know. And, and honestly, I don't think they know if there are any left over there, uh, if, if that number's in the tens. Is it, is it in the hundreds? Is it in the thousands? We, we don't know. And that's just uh, incompetence that the Biden administration didn't have a plan, didn't have a head count. Uh, this whole thing is just a, has been a disaster. Congressman James Comer, always great to talk with you. Thanks so much for uh, leading the charge there on Capitol Hill. We're going to keep fighting. Thanks for having me on. All right. Congressman James Comer of uh, Kentucky. You know, coming up next, if you like um, the way the Democrats handled Afghanistan, well, then you'll be happy to know that they're trying to nationalize our election systems so that they can um, maintain a death grip on America's political structure. But some states are pushing back, like Texas. Former Secretary of State of Ohio, Ken Blackwell, is here to talk about it next. Don't go away. When it comes to reading the Bible, sometimes it can be difficult to know where to start or to understand how to apply Scripture to everyday life. There are also those passages that leave people scratching their heads, wondering what some things even mean and what they're supposed to make of it. We all know that Scripture is divinely inspired and given by God, and it's useful to us as God uses it to prepare and equip us to do good work for His kingdom, to grow us and to bring us closer to Him. God's Word is powerful, but it shouldn't intimidate you. That's why Family Research Council offers the Stand on the Word Bible Reading Plan. It's a two-year plan that helps you read the Bible daily so you can stay grounded in God's truth, navigate our culture from a biblical worldview, and grow closer to God. This plan will help you to practice the discipline of reading Scripture every day so you can be transformed by God's Word. Sign up to get the daily passages and questions today by visiting frc.org slash Bible. God is the author of life and has created man in His image. Therefore, we must respect the inherent dignity of every human life from conception until natural death. That is why Family Research Council works to pass legislation that highlights this principle, including laws that protect the unborn. To keep you informed on this issue, FRC has created online maps that illustrate progress in each state on key pro-life laws. That way, you can know if your state legislators are working to protect unborn babies. The pro-life laws FRC tracks at the state level include those addressing late-term abortions, fetal dignity, defunding abortion businesses, and providing medical care for babies born alive after an attempted abortion. See where your state stands on pro-life abortion. Check out our pro-life maps at frc.org slash pro-life maps. 
Most Americans believe they have a biblical worldview, but current research shows that only 6% actually have one. This means that most of our friends and neighbors, including those who attend church, don't think about the day's moral and cultural issues through a biblical lens. Increasingly, we see the disastrous effects of a culture that has rebelled against the truth of God's Word. That is why Family Research Council has launched the Center for Biblical Worldview. This center is an exciting new ministry created to help Christians develop and live by a biblical worldview, to understand why scriptures must be authoritative, and to equip believers to advance and defend the faith in the workplace, in schools, in their communities, and in the public square. The experts at FRC's Center for Biblical Worldview provide research and resources to help prepare believers to give a biblical answer to our culture's most pressing questions. Access the center's free resources at frc.org worldview. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. So good to have you with us. The website, TonyPerkins.com. Check it out. Also, download the Stand Firm app so that you can uh, be apprised of Washington Watch, no matter where you might be in the world, but also so that you'll have information, alerts, all that you need to be an active, responsible participant in government. Download the Stand Firm app. All right, President Biden's approval rating is uh, underwater. Now, what does that mean? It means that his disapproval rating is actually higher than his approval rating. That doesn't happen often, and it's not a good place to be if you're a politician. The reason? Well, I don't think I need to explain it, but what happened in Afghanistan certainly hasn't helped. Of course, the inflation, rising prices, rising gas prices, I mean, you you name it, uh, the mandates, all of this stuff. But here's the deal, all right? So the, the Democrats are rushing through to try to get H.R. 4. This is to federalize the election system. Why are they doing that? Well, they know that the policies of Joe Biden in this administration are so backwards that they don't stand a chance in the midterm elections for people who actually think and connect the dots. So what do they do? They have to lock in this political death grip, meaning what we saw in last November's election. But fortunately, there are states that are pushing back, like Texas. They uh, approved on Tuesday the final version of Senate Bill 1. This was overcoming the, uh, the uh, remember when the Texas Democrats fled the state, went up and uh, spread COVID in Washington, D.C., well, the, the Republicans stayed at it, passed the bill. It's now uh, on the desk of uh, Governor Abbott. Joining me now to talk about all of this and why it matters is Ken Blackwell, Senior Fellow for Human Rights and Constitutional Governance at the Family Research Council. He is also the former Secretary of State, the Elections Officer for the State of Ohio. Ken, welcome back to the program. Hey, Tony, it's good to be with you. Hey, good to see you as well. Uh, let's start first with what are the the, the key highlights of the Texas bill uh, that uh, is now on the governor's desk? Hey, let me underscore one particular point. Uh, they, in fact, uh, have have made the policy, uh, put the policy in place that would enhance our uh, understanding or validating that people 
or who they claim to be in mail-in uh, voting. Tony, as you know, I'm the co-chairman of the International Foundation of Electoral Systems. And let me just tell you, there is not another country on the face of the earth that has used mail-in voting or balloting uh, to the extent that we used it in 2020. And most of the states, if not yet most of the states, there might be a couple of states that have some competency in this area, but most of the states didn't. And as a, as a consequence, what they did was weaken the confidence uh, that voters had in the results because of the irregularities, the, uh, the unconstitutional actions taken by uh, various, uh, various governments. Uh, and so this is, this is one of the things that I really like about what they did in Texas. They enhanced that, that, that part of the process. And here's a state that is being uh, assaulted by the open borders policies of the administration. And so, again, I want to also thank you and other grassroots organizations that got people involved and pushed back against this power grab by Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, and the radical left. They cannot institute a one-size-fits-all policy that would destroy the fabric of right. our constitutional republic. And Texas is not alone. I mean, we've talked many times in the program about what Georgia did. They were kind of uh, the the point man, if you will, on this, and they took all types of uh, hits and assaults from the left. Uh, same as Texas. I think in total we've had 17 or 18 states that have successfully moved reform uh, legislation. Uh, through as it pertains to elections. But let's talk for a moment about H.R. 4. You mentioned Nancy Pelosi and the power grab. This effort, and it's not dead. I mean, they're working hard to get this through, uh, this power grab that would federalize our election system. This is about normalizing the irregularities that took place in the last election, last November. And the reason is uh, to me, quite obvious when you look at the, the debacle of this administration that played out before us last week, the only way the left can contain power or re retain power, I should say, is by manipulating the election system and controlling it. Uh, absolutely. And <clears throat> one of the things that our, our viewers and listeners should understand is that they would have you to believe uh, that this is a Democrat-controlled nation. Well, the fact of the matter is, is that Republicans control more chambers of state legislatures, more county commissions. You know, they, in fact, have more governorships. There is no way that we should surrender uh, to this paragraph. Uh, H.R. 4 would create a new election czar. That would be the Attorney General of the United States, and under a manipulation of the system, all states would have to get any changes in their election laws approved by the Justice Department, run by left-leaning or radical leftists uh, and a Democrat-controlled uh, administration. So you're, you're right. This is the same clown car that not only gave us the Afghanistan disaster, they presented us with open borders, uh, a crime wave, defund the police. They, in fact, have now put these heavy-handed mass mandates 
uh, on, on citizens, they, they won't be satisfied until we are converted from free will citizens to subjects, and we're not going to stand for it. I, I think that's an apt uh, analogy. I think they've packed more cr more clowns in this clown car than anyone has ever done before. Ken Blackwell, thanks so much for joining us. Always great to talk with you, my friend. Good to be with you, Tony. All right, folks, Ken Blackwell, former Secretary of State of the State of Ohio. Coming up next, Samaritan's Purse. Get an update on the relief efforts. It's not... Uh, this hurricane, Ida, is not just impacting Louisiana, Mississippi. I mean, this is impacting a large swath of the United States. I'm talking to folks on the eastern coast today, and uh, they get a feel for what uh, the folks in the South go through. Don't go away. We're back after this. Are you looking for a go-to platform where you can get relevant commentary on the cultural issues of the day from a biblical perspective? Today, it can be hard to find this in light of media censorship of conservative and Christian voices. Here at Family Research Council, we believe that every American has a right to exercise their freedom of speech and share their stories with the world. And we think it's important for you to have access to these stories. To get the facts and stories the left doesn't want you reading, head over to frc.org blog to check out our newest blog posts. We cover the issues you care about, all written by our experts in policy, government affairs, and biblical worldview. Our experts unpack the topics that other media platforms won't, like current events that affect Christians internationally, sexuality from a biblical perspective, and insights into the increasingly radical shift in American culture. To stay up to date on current news related to faith, family, and freedom, go to frc.org slash blog. We're seeing more and more cases of censorship and the canceling of many conservatives and Christians by big tech companies. To combat this, Family Research Council has chosen to be proactive before big tech tries to censor or cancel us. We want to stay connected with you, and so we've created a tech subscription platform. That way, you can still find updates on faith, family, and freedom, even if big tech tries to silence us. It's easy. You just sign up for the text alerts by texting STAN to 67742, and you'll get FRC's content straight to your phone. Again, just text STAN to 67742, and FRC will keep you looped in on the issues of the day. By subscribing, you'll get information on our upcoming events and programs. We want you to always have access to the content that will help you stand for faith, family, and freedom, and keep you connected with the like-minded community. Just text STAND to 67742 and be the most informed person you know. This is Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. Glad to have you with us. The website, TonyPerkins.com. Right, four days after devastating parts of Louisiana, Mississippi, Hurricane Ida, well, continued uh, to wreak havoc yesterday and today with remnants of the storm causing record-breaking rainfall, tornadoes, flash floods, and power outages in multiple states in the Northeast. At least 25 people so far have died from Maryland to New York. Meanwhile, relief efforts are uh, underway uh, here in Louisiana and uh, Mississippi, where most of the affected areas are still without uh, power. With me now to provide an update is Luther Harrison. She's, he is vice president of North American Ministries for Samaritan's Purse. 
uh, who is uh, overseeing the organization's response. Uh, Luther, welcome back to Washington Watch. Well, Tony, thank you for having us on your program this evening. And uh, first of all, I want to give a shout out to you, uh, the first line responders, uh, the local church partners on the ground. You have been a tremendous resource to Samaritan's Purse as we've been navigating our way into Louisiana's response. Well, I, I appreciate that, but it's a joy to work with you guys. You're, you're the best. And uh, I was telling the group this morning as, a, as we sent them off that uh, you guys should be honorary Louisiana citizens. You spend so much time here, uh, unfortunately, with uh, the disasters that we've had, these natural disasters. But give us an update uh, as you track this storm. I'm not asking for a weather forecast, but just as you look at the, what's been left in the wake, this is a pretty significant storm. It has been a very significant storm. As you know, we are set up in three different locations uh, in Louisiana and Homa and Metairie and in Hammond also. We're uh, providing support and our volunteers should hit the ground running tomorrow at full speed ahead to uh, help tarp roofs, cut trees and uh, help families uh, get the muck and the mire out of their homes and get back on their feet. But our team has been watching these storms all the way through uh, Philadelphia, New Jersey today and talking with our church partners in these areas and seeing how can Samaritan's Purse come alongside of them and offer support. But even before Hurricane Ida hit, it was always, we were already on uh, four other responses in uh, four other states. So uh, it's been a very busy disaster season, as we'll call it. Fires in California, floods in North Carolina, Tennessee, and Michigan. Yeah, so you uh, you go where needed. And quite frankly, it's been, a, a, I think, a pretty busy decade uh, we've seen a lot of these natural disasters, as as you mentioned, whether it's the fires in uh, out west or the floods uh, in central uh, central part of the country or the the hurricanes down here in the south. Uh, what are some of the ways that uh, folks can partner with Samaritan's Purse? I know there are other ministries out there, and, and we certainly support them. I personally have uh, seen and worked with Samaritan's Purse up close and can, to atta- can attest to the stewardship of the way you operate the ministry and the effectiveness because you do it, as uh, Franklin says, in the name of Jesus, and you mm-hmm. minister uh, as you go. And so it's not just about rebuilding uh, the physical structures of homes, but also build it, rebuilding lives and uh, addressing the spiritual needs of people. So how can folks partner with you? Well, Samaritan's Purse, we always say the best thing right now we need is prayer for these families that, you know, their lives have been turned upside down. Many have lost loved ones. And let's be praying that uh, the local churches would just get out and wrap their arms around them and support them and help them through this uh, time of grieving and time of trying to get back on their feet. You know, 16 years ago, we were in New Orleans after Hurricane Katrina, and the pastors and the relationships we built then just have been carried out. Even they picked up the phone and called us and said, I was wondering when you were going to call. But we need the church to get outside the walls and meet the people where they are and send uh, believers that are willing to go out and support uh, helping families physically. That physical work we do, Tony, it comes with a message, and that's a message that God loves them, that we're there to help in Jesus' name, and everything we do is a free gift to these homeowners, and we want to help them uh, just see that where does our help come from? It comes from the Lord, the creator of heavens and earth, and he is sending us to be his hands and feet. Well, for those that are fortunate and not have not experienced these natural disasters of various sorts, the the fact that people show up like right now, you said teams will be operating 
uh, probably either tonight or tomorrow, you were on the ground. I was talking to you before the storm even hit. But the the encouragement that that brings to people to know that they're not alone in these uh, really the immediate days after these natural disasters is irreplaceable because you know what a lot of desperation sets in when people lose their homes and they really don't know what the future looks like. You guys got a plan. You hit the ground. You come alongside. You begin to help people and you give them hope. Well, today we've had at our three different sites about 300 families have already said we need help. And we want to get there quickly before the rains come, but before uh, any more damage would occur to their property. But the biggest thing we need, Tony, is volunteers willing to go out and be the hands and feet to roll up their sleeves and uh, just meet the people where they are. As we always say, we want to go partner with a local church. Uh, That disaster starts locally and ends locally. When we leave one day, we want that church to be seen as that source of help and hope for that family in the future. So we need volunteers. Uh, We have, I think, about 900 that have already expressed interest wanting to go. But uh, this is going to be a Katrina-like event. It's going to take a while to get all these families uh, fixed up and patched up and back on their feet. Again, we're still in Lake Charles repairing homes from uh, two years ago. And we haven't left Lake Charles. So, you know, we should start looking at residency in Louisiana. But the elected officials there have been very helpful. The church partners have been very helpful. And, you know, we just want to be the wind in the sails of the local church and show people that God loves them and hasn't forgotten. Well, you're doing a great job at it. And uh, we stand with you and uh, we'll be working with you to encourage folks to sign up and volunteer and pray and also to, uh, to give to the effort. Luther, always great to talk with you. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you, Tony. Have people go to SamaritansPurse.org and they can click the volunteer button if they have the time and resources and availability to do it. All right. We'll certainly encourage them to do that. Folks, do just that. Don't go away. We're coming back with more after this. What is religious freedom and why should you care about it, both domestically and internationally? By definition, religious freedom is the freedom to hold religious beliefs of one's choice and to live according to those beliefs. At Family Research Council, we care about religious freedom because we believe it is an inherent human right that all governments have an obligation to protect. Tragically, not all governments do. Religious persecution is a harrowing reality around the world that is not often acknowledged by the media, even though attacks on people of all faiths continue to mount in many regions of the world. God calls Christians to care for the persecuted church, the downtrodden, and those who cannot help themselves. Therefore, we must be advocates for those persecuted for their faith. To learn more about this issue and what you can do to help, go to frc.org slash IRF to check out Family Research Council's latest resources on international religious freedom. Christians are called to seek after the Lord above all things. This means we must pray unceasingly, vote our biblical values, and boldly stand for truth. You can join Family Research Council and FRC Action President Tony Perkins in this mission every Wednesday as he hosts the Pray, Vote, Stand broadcast to encourage brothers and sisters in Christ to focus their attention on the Lord in every aspect of their lives. Pray, Vote, Stand will help equip you to stand for biblical truth in the midst of a confusing time in our culture. Tony is joined by experts, elected leaders, and Christian leaders for this weekly program to help you see through the fog created by the biased mainstream media. This year, let's commit to pray for our nation, to stand for truth, and to seek the Lord first. To watch the Pray, Vote, Stand weekly broadcasts, visit prayvotestand.org. 
That's prayvotestand.org. Want honest and in-depth commentary on what's going on in our nation's capital and around the world? Join Family Research Council President Tony Perkins live every weekday by tuning into Washington Watch. You can listen to the show whenever it works for you. Go to TonyPerkins.com to stream episodes on demand or listen by radio through American Family and Radio Network, Bot Radio, the KTLW Radio Network, or independent Christian radio stations across the country. On the show, you'll hear from guests like Mike Pompeo, Senator Marsha Blackburn, Pastor Jack Hibbs, Ben Carson, Senator Josh Hawley, Sissy Graham Lynch, and more. Get a trusted perspective on the news of the day by tuning into Washington Watch with Tony Perkins at TonyPerkins.com. Again, that's TonyPerkins.com. Hey, welcome back. Uh, let me encourage you to check out the website, TonyPerkins.com. And if you would like to partner with Samaritan's Purse, with Family Research Council, we have put forward $25,000 to match every dollar that Washington Watch listeners give to the relief effort. That money is going to go to support the work of Samaritan's Purse, which we were uh, housing in our uh, Louisiana facility uh, this week. And... Um, and the churches that are hosting them long-term. And they're going to be there for a while, so we're going to support them. If you would like to participate in that, simply go to frc.org slash relief or go to TonyPerkins.com and follow the links over. All right, Nancy Pelosi earlier today said that the House will vote on legislation to guarantee access to abortion when they return to Washington later this month. Why? Why all of a sudden the movement? Well... That underscores the concern on the side of the left of what happened last night. The Supreme Court, late last night, refused to intervene and to stop the implementation of Texas's heartbeat bill. By a five to four decision, the court declined this last minute plea from abortion businesses to stop. Texas's Senate Bill 8, which essentially does this. It says no abortion after six weeks, after the detection of a heartbeat. Now, this is big. This is big. Uh, this is the first time in 48 years that we actually see a way forward for America becoming a predominantly pro-life nation. Now, I know we've got Mississippi's bill that is uh, before the court. They're going to hear arguments on that in the coming months. Uh, but this is a six-week ban. This is quite significant. It's not the end of the challenges. I'm sure there, there's more challenges to come, and this is only temporary because it's litig- litigation is ongoing. But how significant is this, and why was last night's decision important? Joining us now to talk about this is the Attorney General of the state of Texas, Ken Paxton. Ken, welcome back to Washington Watch. Well, I'm glad to be back on a day like this where we had a significant victory as it relates to the pro-life movement that we've been fighting for decades. Let's talk about that, the significance last night by a five to four decision that the court did not step in with an emergency rule saying, wait a minute, you can't implement this rule until it is, or this law until we have finished litigation. Is that significant? 
I think it's significant. I mean, we won't really know until the whole battle's, you know, fought on this particular bill because what they would have had to step into would be a little bit odd. The way it was structured was not anything the state is going to do, but what they did in this bill that I thought was so smart is they let individuals bring action against doctors and others who perform abortions in violation of this law. And so there's no real there's no real action to stop, I and mean, there's no litigation particularly to stop other than to try to stop a law from going into effect. And so I'm pleased with the court because I think if we'd had a, obviously a liberal court. Uh, they would have they would have just stopped it before anything ever actually happened. Well, you touched on a significant difference because we've had about a dozen states that have had very similar bills that banned abortion uh, after uh, six weeks, some after 20 weeks. Uh, but Texas's was different. And so all those others were uh, blocked by the courts, kept from going into effect. I thought it was kind of a creative, clever way that the Texas law was structured. As you said, it allows individuals, for instance, um, someone who, let's say, drove someone to an abortion clinic, an individual could take action, uh, file a suit uh, against that individual. Explain how that would work. Yeah, and I like the way you put it, clever. I, I talked to one of my guys who was involved in this, one of my uh, guys in my solicitor general's office, and I said I thought it was genius because one of the other problems that we have, Tony, is you could pass a law like this, but then the individual DAs in Texas have control of whether it's uh, enforced, if it's criminal. And so we have lots of DAs in Texas who just would not enforce the law, and that's a real problem because we don't have concurrent jurisdiction. I don't have concurrent jurisdiction to go do that. And so this puts in the hands of individuals. If they've been harmed or they see a harm under this statute that affect that affects them and their families, they can bring an action anyway. They don't have to be you know, sued in a liberal court in Travis County. They can go follow where they're from. And potentially, if we have a actual trial, we might be able to get a better record for appeal than we would in some of these other courts that we've had to deal with in the past. You know, I often kind of detect how significant something is based upon the way the other side responds. Mm -hmm. And uh, apoplectic is, I mean, they're just, uh, their response is over the top. Uh, Here is uh, Nancy Northrup. Uh, She's the head of the Center for Reproductive Rights. Uh, She was uh, really kind of one of the spearheading organizations challenging the law. She said, quote, we are devastated the Supreme Court has refused to block a law that blatantly violates Roe v. Wade. Right now, people seeking abortions across Texas are panicking. They have no idea where or when they will be able to get an abortion, if ever. Texas politicians have succeeded for the moment in making a mockery of the rule of law, upending abortion care, didn't know it was a care, in Texas, and forcing patients to leave the state if they have the means to get constitutionally protected health care. Of course, abortion is not health care. This should send chills down the spines of everyone in this country who cares about the Constitution. Um, I I think there are a lot of people concerned about the Constitution. They have been for 48 years since Roe v. Wade was found in the shadows of the Constitution. Yeah, you know, there's a lot to unpack in what she said. What's interesting to me is I was already asked today, well, do you regret Texas doing this because it creates, it's created so much controversy? And I'm like, well, Roe v. Wade itself was a pretty uh, long stretch. Obviously, there was no precedent. There was no constitutional right to abortion. 
and the other side didn't mind taking big steps to implement what they wanted to do, which we would have said at the time, and we'll still say, was not constitutional, was illegal. And since then, it's just been a big mess with the rules changing. The, instead of having a law in the books in Texas and every other state, we've got the Supreme Court changing the rules. You know, every time we get a new justice, we have a new idea what how abortion should be done. It ought to be the elected representatives. What she's saying is untrue. This is not what Texas is doing is not unconstitutional. We're going to back to the way it should be, which is the states should have control over this issue. Of course, the Biden administration uh, spokesman in the White House, uh, Saki, saying that, um, again, calling for the codification in law, which every time they say that, you know, just reminds me, or, or it's an acknowledgement, I should say, that Roe v. Wade is not the law of the land. It is what the court has imposed upon the nation, but it's not the law. That's why they want to codify it into law. No, you make such a great point. I mean, for all these years, Biden and his people and the, those people that believe that have been very happy that, that this wasn't in law because it was in law before that in all of our states. And they were fine overruling 50 state laws to have the court tell us what their dream of abortion was. And now that the court is backing off on overruling every law in the country, they're like, no, now we need a federal law to stop the states from doing what they're should be allowed to do. So General Paxton, let me ask you this. You've been in this fight for a long time. When you see what the court did, and, and you can't read too much into the court, but at least we know we had five judges, uh, justices on the Supreme Court that said, we're not going to step into this. We're going to, you know, we're going to let it go forward and then we'll we'll let this litigation play its play out. But when you consider that we have a case before the Supreme Court out of Mississippi, uh, the Dobbs case, we're very close to seeing this nation move back to being a predominantly pro-life nation. I mean, I think all of the years in the pro-life movement, the legislators in the last decade and a half that have become aggressive in passing pro-life laws to protect the unborn. I mean, look, we, we have made a lot of progress, and I think we could be months away from seeing America revert back to a nation that fundamentally respects human life. You know what? We've seen this before, have we not, with the abolitionist movement to free and end slavery? And that took, you know, decades and decades. It took some really amazing people fighting every day. And what I love about this movement is we have not given up, we have not quit. And you're right, the Mississippi case, uh, my state is leading the amicus brief with 24 states which is supporting Mississippi's law of banning abortion at 15 weeks. And that's, this is the biggest effort, I think, ever with this case to directly overturn Roe v. Wade. Roe v. Wade. We're not just saying it ought to be 15 weeks. We are addressing Roe v. Wade and saying this was incorrectly decided from the beginning. The judges keep changing the standard, and this ought to go back to the states. And so this is a huge effort, which is, as you said, when this case is heard, we're probably not far off from knowing whether we have a chance right now to put this back in the, in the states and let them make the decision about whether we're going to protect life or not. Yeah, it's very clear for, uh, very important for it to be clear on that for the benefit uh, of those that may be listening on this conversation, that what the court will do is it addresses this, what, what I think they may do, um, because the court is usually pretty limited in its decisions, uh, narrow. Of course, this is a big issue. 
uh, as we see or would interpret the quote-unquote overturning of Roe v. Wade, it's simply putting it back into the hands of the states where they found it. And then the states, which a vast majority are pro-life, in fact, many have trigger uh, legis- trigger laws that they put into place that as soon as the court makes that decision, they will outlaw abortion in their mm-hmm. state. So that's where people have the ability to interact with their local elected officials in, in their, their state legislatures and also to vote with their feet by going to states that are pro-life. And I think it is uh, really kind of packaged with other policies as well. And I think we'll see an, another clear division in the ideological lineup of the states. You know what I love about this, Tony, though, is that I, I think we're, we're right on this issue and the science will tell us we're right. Um, I think when we have the t- a chance to explain, we have a debate in each of these states, uh, whether you're in a liberal state or a, a conservative state or Republican or Democrat, the facts are on our side. And, and the idea of ending human life is tragic and I think compelling. And so I would much rather have those debates in every single state than have a court right. dictate to us that yes, we're gonna allow everyone to kill babies. Yeah, I I agree 100%. Uh, And that's why we need to stay involved, no matter what the media may say, because the media wants us to be discouraged and to disengage, whether it's on this issue or any number of issues, election reform issues, which is also another issue that Texas is involved in. They want us to become discouraged, throw in the towel so that the left can dominate. That's the last thing we need to do. Let, let me go back very quickly before we run out of time, uh, General Paxson. What is the next step in this law? As I said, there'll be more challenges. This isn't the end of it. It was just one decision last night to allow this law to go into effect. What's the next step? So, I mean, the great thing is the law is in effect right now. So we're protecting human life. Uh, it, it's, it's six weeks and, and more. And so that's that's every day that we have that in place, it's good. And so the legal challenge will come. They'll probably start um, in some court that's not necessarily friendly to our cause. But the reality is, I think now you'll start seeing lawsuits by individual plaintiffs that will also go up from courts that may do a better job of keeping track of the record so that we'll have some good cases that we can go argue in front of appellate courts across, all the way up to the Supreme Court. My guess is we'll be back there someday. Well, we'll be watching it uh, very, very carefully. And uh, again, grateful for the state of Texas that's leading out on a number of these uh, critical issues and grateful for you uh, joining us today, General Paxton. Hey, glad to do it. It's an important issue and thanks for for spending the time on it. Absolutely. General uh, Attorney General Ken Paxton of Texas. To find out more, go to the website, TonyPerkins.com. Another reason why you need to have the Stand Firm app because a lot of these policies are playing out at the state level. And so you need to know what to do and when to do it. And maybe you need help in knowing how to do it. And that's what we do through our Stand Firm app. We'll send you alerts when particular pieces of legislation. That's at the core of our mission. That is family issues as it pertains to life, religious freedom, uh, those types of issues will give you the tools you need to be an engaged and informed citizen. So download the Stand Firm app and don't be a spectator, be a participant. And by the way, be praying 
for the court as we approach the oral arguments of the Dobbs case. This is a case out of Mississippi that I think many think, and I agree, will will be most likely the case uh, in which Roe v. Wade is directly challenged. Uh, that's before the court. They'll be having oral arguments in the next couple of months. So again, be praying for that case and the court as they approach that. And uh, again, be praying for the folks that are in the wake of Hurricane Ida and uh, pray for them, pray for their families, pray for their well-being, pray for government officials to make the right decisions. And uh, again, I'm going to say this again, and, uh, and again, I know people are going to mock, so let them mock. But I think we should be asking God, what are you telling us as a nation as we see all these natural disasters? We see uh, a second iteration of the COVID virus. We see our nation running out of Afghanistan. What should we be asking? I think God's sending us a message that we need to return to him. We need to seek him first, seek his face that we might get once again have his hand of protection and blessing. Until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you have taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.